The world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layered timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve is available from $995. Current users can download the updates for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagicdesign.com. What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to AOTG.com's The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this week we have something special for you. Now, we went to the London Edit Fest, and they had Terry Rawlings, ACE, discussing his career. And as part of his discussion of his career, he talks about Blade Runner and also the various issues that they encountered in the process of Blade Runner in terms of multiple cuts occurring. So I thought I would uh, use that excerpt from the London Edit Fest. And of course, we're going to be at the Edit Fest in LA and we're going to be hosting another pub night. So make sure if you're in the LA area to check this out. Uh, you can always get us on Twitter at AOTG Network. You can get us on Facebook, facebook.com slash AOTG Network. Or if you want to get us the, I guess, the old-fashioned way through email, uh, it's info at AOTG.com. One other thing, uh, you'll notice that uh, they throw to a film and then all of a sudden it's just going to start clapping. That's because we can't play the audio from that movie. So here's the London Edit Fest interview with Terry Rollins. We can't let you um, escape here without, without talking us through one of the most iconic films in the history of cinema. Um, what can that be? Well, you've talked about aliens. There can only be one other. Um, so, uh, so indulge us uh, a little bit. Um, clear something up. I mean, while you're here, obviously the, um, there was an initial release um, which, uh, which uh, you know, did, didn't do so well in the cinema. Which is the one that everybody likes now. Okay. Yeah. There was the initial release, wasn't there? And then there was the director's Well, cut. not the initial release. The, the best one of all, which is the one virtually which they've got back to, right. was the one we took there for a preview. Okay. Because it had no commentary and uh, the film just played out and it ended with the doors closing at the end with you thinking, is he in a replicant or isn't he? Mm -hmm. And uh, it all seemed fine. But nobody got nobody understood it and they all wanted a commentary on it. Yeah. And the thing is then Harrison Ford didn't want to do a commentary and many people wrote it and uh, it just it just got to the point where I don't know. I mean, the film to us. I remember. I remember putting this film together for the first time, and we got it all together, and then Ridley and I ran it together on our own. And when it all came to an end, he said, "God," he said, "It looks wonderful." He said, "What does it all mean?" <laughs> so we had to sort of work on it and, and make things work mm. better. Yeah. But uh, it was always had tremendous potential. But it was like a lot of films that are never given a chance. Yeah. You know, everybody wanted a commentary on it to try and make it more, you know, the people to enjoy it more and understand it more. But it never really took off then, did yeah. it? And a very bad start in life, so to speak. The cut that was released as the director's cut a decade later, that was your original cut, is that? I think so. Okay. I mean, look, when I look at that now, yes. I mean, yes, I think it was. Yeah. And so, so in 1981 when you're in the edit and you've got Ridley Scott's live-action visuals shot in LA and you've got Douglas Trumbull's 
uh, visual effects. Um, and maybe you've got a bit of Vangelis as well, I'm not sure if you're working with them at that point, but no. at what point did you realise that you had something special, that you maybe had art here rather than... Oh, I just, well, I think you realised that from the beginning. I mean, when you saw the way it was being shot, the sort of the, the sets and uh, the way the film was beginning to look, and uh, I mean, it was magical when you think about it, when you, when he comes in with the Voigt camp and, he's, and he goes through that with that girl, with the smoke going through our fingers, you knew there was something different about the way this film was looking. And everything about it looked amazing. Mm -hmm. It's not just the way it looks, I mean, it is obviously stunning, there are some I iconic imagery, but it's what, what, what is haunting about the film is what, what leaves you with, with uh, resonance afterwards, it's the kind of melancholic nature of, of Descartes' relationship with his world and Descartes' mm -hmm. relationship with Rachel, it seems to me. They're kind of alienated, obviously, from the world. He doesn't know it. Um, well, it's a very sad film when you think about yeah, it. Yeah. Is that something you were aware of? Were you trying to achieve that emotion? Yes, well, you were, because the thing is, what you're trying to create is, is he who he says he is, or is he someone else? And you're given the hints when when the guy makes the origami, mm -hmm. and he, he makes a unicorn, which is the, one of Deckard's thoughts, when yeah, he's reminiscing yeah, himself. Yeah, yeah. So, did they know about him? Did they make him, or is he a detective, as he says he is? And so, so the scene we're going to see, <coughs> this is from the director's cut. It would have been in your first original cut, mm. because it contains one of those sequences you're talking about. Is it? Explain a little bit before we watch it, well, why you've chosen this. I saw uh, this section that they sent over, and I've always thought, and I'm pretty sure it was longer at the beginning, with him sitting at the piano, he's tinkling on the piano and he's looking at photographs of these people that are on the, on, of her mother and things like that. And uh, while he's looking at this thing, you suddenly see this unicorn running through these trees. And you go back to him and he's still looking at these pictures. And you knew now that it's, it's a thought of his and the unicorn comes again, which he doesn't do in this, comes by a second time, they've got the second half I think, because he comes up and he shakes his head and then I had Deckard shake his head like getting rid of that thought. But it's not in this sequence unfortunately, but at least this piece will show you what we're talking about. Yeah. And uh, it leads on to him finding the girl in the photograph. Yeah, um, well let's, uh, let's watch this sequence from uh, Blade Runner which I'm sure everyone's seen but it's always worthwhile watching. I like the idea of, uh, of being able to take a two-dimensional image and get a three D, uh, mm. you know, three three D image image from that. Mm. And when when this um, so when the fight when the director's cut came out, did you feel a sense of vindication that finally your vision that of Ridley's could finally be seen after sort of? Oh yes, I think so because this, it's amazing how it really all came about. All this this business with Blade Runner because. Um, Blade Runner was never successful when it opened up. I mean, nobody understood it, and uh, they thought it was just all far-fetched. But when you think about it, it wasn't so far-fetched as this thing. I remember there was a, re a review written when it was opening in London by one of the... Was it late? Is it Dillis Powell, one of those people? Was, yeah. yeah. Who wrote a review of this film, said, uh, This morning I went to see this new film by Ridley Scott, Blade Runner, 
which, you know, it seemed ludicrous. You know, it was all sort of rain, wet and filth. And anyway, it went on like this. And she then finished the sober, and I left the theatre and I walked straight into it. And it was wonderful, wonderful review, really, when you think about it. But it's interesting how it came about to do all these changes and keep trying different things. They had a festival, a little mini festival at a cinema in, in Los Angeles. I was over there doing Alien 3 at the time. And they were going to show 70 mil films, six track 70 mil films. So they had like Sound of Music and uh, things like that anyway. And they asked them to send them a copy of uh, Blade Runner if they had it in their vaults. And they sent the version that we took there first mm -hmm. with no commentary. Mm -hmm. And of course all the fans, because there were fans, even though it wasn't successful, were thrilled because there's, there's a brand new version of the film, which it had temp music in, and one thing or another. So that's really why they spent the money to then do another version without commentary. And that's how it all, the whole saga began. It was kind of luck in a way. It was. It was, yeah. it was a fluke. Yeah. So that was Terry. He was talking about Blade Runner. Uh, if you have any questions about it, you can always email us at info at AOTG.com. You can always get us on Twitter at AOTG Network. You can get us on Facebook, facebook.com slash AOTG Network. And of course, if you're wanting to go to the LA Edit Fest, make sure to go to editfest.com. I'd like to thank the American Cinema Editors for allowing us to use this piece. I'd like to thank Jenny McCormick. And of course, I'd also like to thank Johnny Elwin uh, for getting us this audio recording. Our, our, there were too many people recording, so we couldn't patch into the mixer like we usually do and johnny was the one who got us these audio files so thanks very much to johnny i'm your host gordon burkell thanks for listening <laughs>